Would you give your mum, dad, aunt or that uncle who hugged your partner a little too long free access to your phone? Oh no! Oh my god, it's, it's a really long video! Ew! In Dave's brand new YouTube original, Get Off My Phone, we've got six comedians to give their phones over to a relative with total freedom to read messages, DMs, photos and browser history. What's your social history? Sorry? What to do? Tips for relief. The rules are simple. Their relative can read anything they want and even make calls from the comedian's phone. What is this? What is I know what this one is. That, that looks really okay. bad. Starring Tanya Moore, Anya Magliano, Finlay Christie, Travis J with his mum Angie Lamar, Hayley Morris, Grace Campbell and dad Alistair Campbell. Slightly sexually compromising <laughs> Divulging their deepest digital secrets. <laughs> what the hell is happening? Get off my phone. A Dave YouTube original. Available now on Dave's YouTube channel. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to Conversations Against Living Miserably, a podcast where we try to find solace in a world where our brains are usually against us. Each episode, we speak to a different guest and talk about their stories, their experiences, and their lives as they fight against living miserably. We try and have a laugh with it because, on the surface, that sounds like a terrible fucking idea for a podcast. My name is Aaron Gillis, I'm a mental health author, and I'll be joined each week by my co host, Lauren Patterson, an award winning stand up comedian. We hope you can take something from this podcast away with you into your day-to-day life. Whatever situation you're in, you're not by yourself. We can share our stories, share our experiences. We can help each other know that things get better. This week's guest is Ellis James, a broadcaster and comedian and co-author of the book The Holy Bible, which he wrote with his radio co-host and good friend John Robbins. Ellis and John have been praised for their frank discussion around their emotions on their Radio X show, allowing their audiences to be the third mate at a pub table, as it were. Today, we talk to Ellis about such subjects as masculinity, imposter syndrome, cross-country runs, and terrible first impressions. A slight warning before we begin, in this episode, we discuss suicide a little bit, so if that is something you're not comfortable with, feel free to skip that bit. Right, let's get on with the show then. Ellis James, welcome. Yeah. Hello. Thank How you are you doing? Hello. How are you this uh, this fine day? Um, Good, because... Uh, I cycled to Brixton from my house. So if we were doing this an hour later, I would have cycled all the way, which is 13 miles. But things were... I've got a very little baby, so things were a bit tight for that kind of bike ride. But one of the best things about cycling is that you turn up and you're full of endorphins. 
because usually, you know, I mean, I'm not the kind of person who wakes up and goes running in the morning because I'm very usually very bad in the morning. Mm-hmm. But cycling is quite low um, impact. But you've got to get to these places anyway. So I get, I get to the tube and I'm like, oh, to my destination. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to sign up for a half marathon. I'm, I'm a really good guy. Oh, my God. I've, I'm clever. I've got a lot to offer people, actually. And to be honest, I think, I think the world needs to know this. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty confident. So it's, I've been doing it for about two years and it is absolutely, other than learning to read, one of the best lifestyle I don't know if learning to read is a lifestyle choice, but um, <laughs> it's one of the best improvements to my life I've ever made. I feel oh. like I'm missing out. I was saying before, I can't ride a bike. You can't ride a I bike? I can't ride a bike, no. Did no one ever teach you how to ride a bike? They tried, but I would just jump off, which I think was an indicator. Did you fall off? I think I, I had a really like second-hand old bike, and the brakes were quite rusty. Ah. So I think because I didn't have like a guaranteed stop, get off, I would panic and just jump off. And then I think my parents just gave up in the end and were like, she's just going to yeah. keep jumping off that bike. And I was like, I am, every time, every time. And sometimes my dad would do that thing of letting go and I wouldn't realise he'd let go. I'd turn around, realise he'd let go and be like, I'm panic. off, I'm jumping off. Yeah. Um, which I well, think is an indicator of my life. adult cycling lessons, yeah. <laughs> I really recommend I love them. it at the gym. I hated it for a bit, and then I realised I just had the seat too high. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, I'm really struggling. And the instructor came over, and he was like, if you lower the seat. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is less intense now. Moving on to our first question that we always start with. Um, when was the last time you felt calm? I feel quite calm at the moment. I just, I've re well, uh, I'll give you um, a sort of a facile answer and um, I'll give you a serious answer. <laughs> I, when, I, when I just did stand-up before I had children, I realised there were about four things in my life. And if I did those four things, I would be quite chilled out. Because I've never, I, I'm, I've been very lucky. I've never really had problems with anxiety but I know plenty of people who have. And I realised that when I was just doing the circuit, if I read the paper, read a bit of my book, did a little bit of cardiovascular exercise and also had time on my own, crucially, I felt all right. And the thing with stand-up, a lot of stand-ups would complain about the loneliness. I used to absolutely love it. <laughs> I loved every second. So I would do, I don't know, the Birmingham Glee Club or something, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, just in a hotel room on my own. I just used to find that fantastic. <laughs> just lying on a bed and staring at the ceiling. Mm. I, used to, I used to find very calming. Uh-huh. It was now, because I've got two young kids and, and also I do different stuff. My life's a bit more hectic. So of those four things, if I can fit one of them in, then I, it sort of chills me out. But I think my um, I think my tolerance for stress has increased because cause my son is seven, well, eight weeks old actually, and, and I'm, my daughter's four. And I think initially when she was born, it's such a huge jump to go from 33-year-old man of leisure <laughs> to 33-year-old father of one. Yeah. I would say, I wouldn't say I found it difficult to cope, but I just couldn't believe. I, I get very bad at imposter syndrome. So I routinely, whenever I'm asked to do anything, I think, yeah, but they don't want me to do that, do they? I mean, they'll, they'll ask someone who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> and when I was holding or feeding, I used to think, but I'm not actually a dad, am I? I'm, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Whereas all of that has gone, and with my son, because I'm, I'm all, so I'm already in the groove. Uh-huh. I'm sort of enjoying it far more. Nice. In terms of calm, though, um, he doesn't sleep. So, I mean, 
Once we sort that out, I'll be the calmest <laughs> person you know. But that's the thing that's holding me back at the moment. Do you still try to get those moments of kind of by yourself? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't need to be very long. I mean, like 20 minutes mm-hmm. is enough. So it's not like I'm telling Izzy, I've, you know, I've been feeding him now for half an hour. Um, I need six hours. Of <laughs> but like last night, it was, um, we sort of try and take it in turns. And it was, it was my turn to go to bed. So I like had 20 minutes before I um, went to sleep. And it kind of resets me. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I feel very, uh, I feel obliged to say that, you know, like I've, I've never had... Um, anxiety issues. I've never had depression. So it's not really advice you can give to someone who's genuinely ill. But I think for someone who, even though I, I don't feel particularly stressed, my life is not without its stresses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I find that those sort of 20 minute long complete solitude <laughs> is, I find it very calming. Do you have like a hiding place in the house? Like a designated, this um, is where I can sneak under, off. Under the duvet. <laughs> when I, I used to hit, I, I used to temp a lot in my early 20s. And when I, 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 I found that really difficult because I'd, I'd, I'd enjoyed school and I'd enjoyed university. And school and university don't prepare you for the mind-numbing humdrum of data entry. Mm-hmm. And I found it really difficult to cope with. And because I'd, I'd made friends at university and I had a cool life. Suddenly, I was 21 and I was um, working for a gas pipe company logging gas pipe registration numbers for terrible money as well. That's the, I mean, if it was 10 grand a week, that would be something else. But, and I remember I had a girlfriend at the time and she was the student. She said, oh, I'll come round at 10 past five when you're home and, you know, we could do stuff. And I said, no, I, I need some duvet time at 6.30. She said, yeah, but... You go to bed at 11, so if I'm not coming around, please, please let me have some. And <laughs> I would Respect li- my duvet yeah. time. And I would literally just uh, put a duvet over my head and go, I can't believe this is happening. Mm. <laughs> How am I the gas pipe guy? <laughs> and I did that for about f- four or five years, which was hor- horrendous, uh-huh. which is why now I'm lucky enough to enjoy my job. I just, even though obviously, you know, if stuff goes wrong or you're let down, that's something, but I will never go back to feeling how I felt then because that was... I just wasn't cut out for it. Mm-hmm. And I hated every aspect of it. Yeah. I hated the people in the office. And I hated how boring the work was. And I hated that often I was done by 10am. So then <laughs> I just had to sit yeah. there. <laughs> so then what I started doing was I would go in at nine and I wouldn't do anything until four, <laughs> thinking, can I do it in a one mad 60-minute burst at the end? Can I log all those data entry registration numbers for gas pipes in 60 minutes and then leave at five. And I could. And I think, well, why are they paying me? <laughs> it's quite interesting that you say that back then you take the 20 minutes and you still take that kind of moment of making sure that you have kind of solitude. Yeah, I mean, I, could, I used to do it in the car. I used to yeah. sit, I used to sit mm-hmm. in the car, in the car park at lunch <laughs> with my coat off my head. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a car. Because also I was temping in the early 2000s. So it was before mobile phones were interesting. Uh. And it was before I didn't have internet in the in the, um at my computer, so I didn't even have access to email. Actually, I wasn't allowed it because I was doing only doing data entry. So I used to doodle. I found one of the doodles I did the other day, uh-huh. and I dated it was like two thousand and three or something, and um I was just so bored, and being that bored can be absolutely crushing. The mm. thing with life is everyone says life's too short. If you're bored, life is too long. Too long. <laughs> So it's, um, yeah, and then luckily I, I found another, I found a job that I quite liked before doing stand-up. 
But it was still, I still didn't enjoy it as much as this. Yeah, that sort of solitude thing. I think when I was very little, when I was until about I was about ten or eleven, my eleven actually, my mum and dad lived on a um, estate of like starter homes. So all the adults were my parents' age, and there were lots of children my age. So I was very sociable. And then they moved out of town to a house on its own when I when I was a teenager. And I think that made me. I think that really informed my personality. I, I, I don't think... I think if we'd stayed on that street that I was, I was born on, I'd be quite a different person. Mm-hmm. But I think... Because my two sisters didn't want to play football with me, so I still have to play football on my own. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it... You know, it's not like I'm a, a loner or anything. Like, I... You know, I, like I've got friends. You just appreciate your own company. I just appreciate yeah. my own company for a little bit. I like that. Yeah. The big age gap between me and my sister. So she moved out when I was, like, maybe... 12 or 13 yeah. so probably just getting to that age where you probably would want to hang out with your big sister yeah, yeah. so until I moved out when I was 18 I kind of felt like an only child even though I had a big yes, sister yes my little sister's and I was seven very years much like that's our age gap seven yeah. eight years and I quite enjoyed it like just I'd like to say had lots of friends but also very much appreciated me on time and being able yeah. to do things my way do what I want and some people can't yeah. cope with being on their own oh I love it that's I found it hard being in house shares at uni because I was like but, oh, did you? but I'm on my own little time loop here and suddenly there's other people who I have I was very used to like but if I want to go in the shower at this time this is the, and then suddenly you've got four other people to compete yeah. with and I was like oh oh I forgot I can't just always have things the way I want this isn't this isn't fun I did um, I did lots I did houses until I was until I was 30 mm-hmm. and loved it but there was a period where I lived with um, when I was just doing stand up with a guy who worked in an office, my best friend from primary school, and a girl who um, was a tech for theatre. She was, she was always on tour. Uh-huh. And because when he went to work, I was asleep. And then when he came back from work, I'd left for the gig. And Sally was always away. I effectively lived on my on own. own. I very rarely saw anyone. And I did go a little bit weird, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and then he moved out and it was just Sal. And Sal was on this big tour. So I was on my own. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mum calling me about five in the afternoon on, on Sunday and she said, what have you done today? I said, well, I've eaten a curry and I watched a documentary about the Hillsborough disaster and I haven't got dressed yet. She said, you need to yeah. <laughs> get, get dressed, man. <laughs> so I did. I think I went a little bit weird when I lived on my own. Yeah. I think living with one is the ideal. But I think it's just so important, even like, as you say, you've never experienced anxiety or depression in your life, but having that kind of way of making sure that you are looking after your mental health because mental health affects everyone. It's mm-hmm. just that some yeah. people have poor mental health. And if you have those little things in your life that you know bring you calm or bring you peace, yeah. it's so important to recognise those and keep hold of them. And my um, parents' generation, not just my mum and dad, but all of my friends' mum and dads, there was a real sense of stoicism mm-hmm. about them mm-hmm. and not complaining. And it was a, it's a very Welsh thing. They sort of absolutely never complain about how hard your life is even if it's actually very very hard <laughs> and um, to illustrate this point right, my grandmother had a frozen shoulder this is about 25 years ago uh-huh. and she was 30 when the NHS was um, uh, came in in 1948 and so the first 30 years of her life you, you know there'd be no healthcare or no proper healthcare so she still found it amazing so this this um frozen shoulder the doctor said right we need to start moving it because that will you know that will get it better so we're going to anesthetize you and then move your arm around and they forgot to anesthetize oh. her and just moved it and she just went <laughs> 
And then the anaesthetist came in and went, oh my God! <laughs> and she absolutely would not whinge or complain about it. Welsh it was, it was, women are another breed. Yeah. They are tough. Oh, they are. She was, she was insanely tough. And I think what I've realised now, like a lot of my friends' dads had breakdowns. And I've realised that you've got to complain a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think, even though... I don't know, especially when you're a parent, like you've got to do certain things and things are expected of you that don't come into play in your 20s. Like my my daughter's four. She gets homework and you've got to like... What homework is it? Like she'll get given a book a week and she's got to read that with us and then I've got to write in a little book what she thinks of it and whether she liked it or not Uh and whether she'd want to read it again. It's like Goodreads for (laughs) four-year-olds. Yeah, absolutely. And she got... um, she got some crest to grow, and then we had to take pictures of it. And she got a rabbit, a, a toy rabbit. She was uh, she was allowed to have that over the weekend, and she so she took it to her ballet Aww. class, and we had to take pictures and upload it onto the school website. Bless. Which is, you know, it's not like it's not it's not trigonometry, trigonometry yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, <laughs> suddenly on Sunday night, is he's like, we haven't taken pictures of this rabbit. <laughs> I'm like, oh god. <laughs> um, so you're you're put under st- stresses that you can't, that I didn't expect because that didn't happen when I was four. Mm-hmm. And so every now and then, if I start to feel myself get a bit agitated, I try and do something about it. Whereas I think twenty years ago, I would have thought, that's life. <laughs> yeah, isn't that that's what just life get is on life. with it. Sorry to interrupt, but it's advert time. 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Advert time is over. Back to the show. But you and John are quite famous on your radio show for discussing your kind of feelings quite openly. And mm. you've created quite a following from that of men that are now finding it easier to talk about yeah. their emotions and their, like, their lives in a more open way because there is that stoicism. There is that still that idea of men can't say how they're feeling. Men are kind of shut back from that emotional world. I think until very recently, and for a lot of people this is still the case, everyone knows about suicide. Everyone knows about nervous breakdowns and you know all sorts of um, mental health issues being sectioned or whatever, but I think for a long time I thought that you were either fine or in a mental hospital, and you were either fine or suicidal. There's or right. no, like, middle and ground. And there was absolutely no middle ground. And, um, I, you know, I knew people, when I was growing up, I knew people who'd been sectioned and stuff. So I thought, 
So I did. I probably knew three people who'd been sectioned. So I thought, okay, well, everyone else in my life is absolutely fine. <laughs> and then you get sectioned of that, and that's it. And uh-huh. then they're ill, and they get treated, and they get therapy, and they they might be, you know, they might get medication. But until that happens, everyone is normal You're and the fine. same. And I don't think I realised that it's a spectrum until embarrassingly recently. And I suppose that's part of the conversation, isn't it? So you see people at breaking point, and also you see people approaching breaking point Mm -hmm. and I just it it hadn't I I hadn't considered them until quite recently actually because there were um there were a few kids in my school committed suicide and I didn't know them that well but I knew them Mm -hmm. and I thought that they were quietly suffering then decided to end it but they were the exceptions I didn't realize that lots of people never get to that stage Mm -hmm. and I think because because I understand that it's slightly better now. If I'm a bit stressed or something, I try and um, acknowledge it. And obviously, mental health can be a chemical imbalance in the brain, all that kind of stuff. And and you have to um, you have to respect that. But also, you can make little changes in your day to day life, Definitely. which can make things better. And they're the changes. But those little changes can be for everyone. Yeah. Like starting something small. Like I started. Well. When I was drunk, I signed up to do the Brighton Marathon oh, in a month's time. And in a month? Yeah. yeah. I, I signed up for it three months ago. So oh, I that's all right Yeah, okay. I don't have a month to train for it. Because that okay. that's what Jade Goody did, isn't it? She had no idea how long a marathon was. <laughs> yeah. And I got to 17 miles. I was like, it's ages. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, it's not going to go well for me whatsoever. But I started running, obviously, to train for it. And I found that, that I can find some kind of peace in that. And that's the first time I've been kind of properly making myself do exercise on a regular basis. Mm. Also... Because of, I think, you know, PE teachers are going to email in, but I think PE's talk quite badly in schools, or it certainly was when I was at school 20 years mm-hmm. ago. And I like playing football on the yard, and I played on a football team. But the idea of going for a run, when you're, if you haven't done it before, if you're unfit, it's difficult to imagine that it could ever be pleasant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We used to do the cross-country run that we used they made us do. cross-country school as well. And it was awful. And they made us yeah. do it. And I was a very big lad and people used to make fun of me all the time. Mm-hmm. My boobs would be going up and down and people <laughs> were taking the piss out of me. So me and a mate would run down to the bottom of the road. I think we were about 15 at the time. Managed to get into the Salmon, which was the pub that had there. <laughs> yeah. Got served for an hour and a half and then joined them at the yeah, end. Because yeah, yeah. we had no like inclination yeah. to finish it because we weren't getting anything out yeah. of it. We used to have to run through town. Really? to run around the back of the school through town and then back what? again. Oh, but it's hard. And you were never told, pace yourself a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe don't have um, a can of Diet Coke and a chocolate cake five minutes before yeah. you go you'll get a stitch. We used to do it after lunch. I said, I'd, I'd have had a turkey burger, beans and chips in my lunch. And suddenly <laughs> I'm trying to run three miles. Forced on a run. It was very unpleasant. And then mm-hmm. I started running when I was about 21 because I realised that you're physically at your peak at 21. And I'd run for the bus or something, and I'd been and I'd felt really ill, and thought this has to change. And the first time I did it, I I was um, sick, and uncharacteristically, I thought I should probably give this another go. And then probably by the third or fourth go, started to enjoy it a bit because it's very gratifying being able to run a mile or two miles. Yeah. Because yeah. you think, oh my god, that's I couldn't do that a month ago. And then once you get past about twenty minutes, you get genuine endorphins. And you feel king of the world. And I'm obsessed with that feeling. It's it's amazing. If I could equate anxiety to one thing, it was the bleep test we used to have to do at school. Yeah. Did you have to do I that? loved yeah. the bleep test. Why? How could anyone love oh. that? It was awful. Because I, I got an instant sense that I'd done something right. 
which yeah. was perfect. Like I wasn't good at any other sport really, and I loved cross country. I loved running. Did because you? I, I was like, if I've got to get from that bleep to that bleep, and if I do it, bleep, wicked. I've done, and I knew I'd done it right. Whereas netball, I could never get it, get it in the net, and I could never do this. And rounders, I could never hit the ball. But I was like, all I've got to do is get from there to there before a bleep goes. I can do that, and I was, I'm very competitive with myself. So I think something like that, I would be the only kid left running. I would run, run, run until I physically thought I was going to be sick because I, I loved it. I want to do a bleep oh. test. Now. <laughs> oh, no. I've just had like a self-realization of the sources of my anxiety are crowds people moving fast, loud noises and people shouting at me and I can put all of those back to the bleep test. To the bleep so test. I'm yeah. going to contact my school for uh, in Southern Receipts We went therapy. to the bowling alley for PE. What? Yeah, when we were in year 11, so like 15, 16, with it being your last year in school, during the final term as a treat, you could pick like a fun PE option. So it was, I think, football, like five-side football in a proper pitch thing, so a lot of the boys would pick to do that. Um, I think it was trampolining at the leisure centre or bowling. And the majority of people picked bowling because you got to leave uh, your grunts. third class yeah. early. It was We had double PE on a Friday afternoon, so you'd be allowed to leave the period before lunch early, get the bus into town over lunch, get chips and a hot dog at the bowling alley, spend two hours bowling. It was brilliant, but maybe comes back guys. to your point that PE is yeah. not dealt with yeah. <laughs> very well. Wow. I think PE is so... I, I hope it's changed, because when would I have been at school? Ten years since I left school. But it was so gendered. And I remember being... Yeah, eight. What's that? Twelve? Yeah, 30? about that. Yeah, yeah. They couldn't be bothered to do anything with us, so they put us in the hall and put the Pump It Up workout DVD on. <laughs> you know the song that was like, don't you know, pump it up, you got to pump it. And we were like, yes, this is just a load of like 12-year-old girls being like, this is amazing. But after 15 minutes, I realised all we were doing was like, gyrating quite sexually to a bunch of like attractive women who are all in like leotards and next to nothing on. So what were the I was boys like, doing? Uh, the boys, I think, played football or something. Wow. We were segregated for PE. Yeah, and we were segregated They just for couldn't... Well. I think the boys were... Whatever the weather, the boys would go outside because they were like, boys are tough, boys can go outside. But the girls didn't have to go outside if it was raining. Really? And I think that must have been it. It was raining. The boys went out to do whatever they were doing. They just chucked us in the hall and put a workout DVD on. And we were all like, this That's is amazing. Incredible. And after half an hour, I was like, this is inappropriate. <laughs> this is very... And my school also had a very high rate of teenage pregnancies. I'm going to put the two things wow. together. <laughs> Maybe don't teach 12-year-olds to gyrate I mean, I have, to dance music. I have a lot of questions about your school, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. They take you bowling and make you... Oh, yeah. it's very strange. Incredible. Brilliant. I turned, I turned out okay, I think. <laughs> not very fit, but That's not incredible. pregnant. <laughs> yeah. You found that men are more open with you now. We get an awful lot of emails to the show. Mm-hmm. So we we often get about 40 pages of emails oh. a week. And more often than not, it's people telling us about, you know, um, challenges in their lives that they're facing. And, you know, I, I, often re- I often reply to them individually because you can't read them all out. Mm-hmm. Mm. The, the, the thing I hadn't realised, I don't think, until we started well, we 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 didn't start it. I think initially people liked it because we're friends. It's been quite compelling about listening to two, listening to two friends chat. So we started getting these emails from people saying, you know, I'm having a I've had a rough year, 
but I've, I've I listen to your podcast a lot and it, I find it quite calming. We had I remember when we got one from someone who had agoraphobia, mm-hmm. so they couldn't leave the house and they listened to the podcast mm. again and again. You know that's hugely flattering, but it wasn't. It, it was an odd byproduct because as far as I was concerned, when we started doing it, it was it was an entertainment show by mm-hmm. two comedians on on an on an indie radio station, and so it it happened by accident rather than design. And then you start reading these emails out in the podcast intro, so then you get more of them. And it was um, it was very flattering and humbling, but I think crucially it didn't become a mental health podcast. Because no. yeah. a I'm not I'm not trained or anything. I'm not a mental health nurse. Joe mm-hmm. Brand was a mental health nurse for years. She's far more qualified than I am <laughs> to do any. So we we just carried on doing what we are doing, which is I mean, dare I say it? But I would say we're two fairly sensitive men. And I don't think there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and I think there's less of that on on the radio than, than you'd think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And um, it's not it's not a mean show. That's the thing. And so I'm not mean to John because I like him, and he's not mean to me. We take the mickey out of each other a lot, but it's not it's it's uh, it's you know it's it's not a mean spirited show. Yeah. And a lot of radio is, and I think that's what people liked about it. So we just tried to keep doing what we were doing. So like we still you know take the piss a lot, but. I mean, suicide is still the main killer of men under the age of forty-five, is it? And those statistics are still chilling. But I do, I do think that culturally, things are different now to how they were ten or fifteen years ago. Absolutely, mm. because I think with stuff, stuff with like antidepressants in particular, there's a real stigma oh, to yeah. those. And I'm, I'm sure there still is mm. in certain parts of society. Because also, I think it's very easy. I always feel trapped in a media bubble when I go back to Wales and see old friends from school and realise that their concerns are very different from mine. Mm-hmm. And we're still mates, but, you know, they're not doing podcasts, they're at work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's... So, so again, you know, you can't be too triumphant or triumphalist about it because, um, you know, I don't think life has changed for lots of people. Yeah. Mm. Like, I made a joke the other day on Twitter about I'd run out of antidepressants, and I was like, how does anyone function without antidepressants? I was like, is this what the world's like? And it was just meant to be a joke, but it was a joke. And someone, like, sort of privately messaged us and was like, oh, can I ask you some questions about antidepressants? Really? Like, I'm, I'm, I, I know I need to be on them, but I'm scared. And it was all the thoughts I'd had two years ago, being like, I don't want to rely on something, all these things. Wow. And I was like, oh, God, I was just doing a stupid little joke about But one person seen that and being like, oh, I feel like I can ask her what it's like. And I was like, oh, I think that's, that's amazing. Like, and that's did what did I like you know the, that person? Yeah, I kind of knew them from, a, not dead well, enough to say like hello to in the street. But but if you don't know them that well, isn't it amazing that you're the person? Yeah, they... and that's what I like about like yours and John's thing. Everything is so like, it, like you said before, it's not a mental health show, but everything's just so normalised and it comes up in conversation yeah. like it would come up in real life. And I think... I, I might be wrong, but I think that's what makes it so accessible for other people to then feel like they can reach out or feel like, because it's not yeah. sort of being forced, like, we are going to talk about our feelings today, but Duh. feelings come up and The thing that's with John so as natural. well, he, um, he is a tremendously emotionally intelligent person. Yeah, yeah. Far more emotionally intelligent than I am, actually. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just quite a, a nice bloke. I think he is... <laughs> I think is profoundly emotionally intelligent. The uh-huh. way he the way he talks about his own feelings and other people's feelings is very astute. Yeah. And I also would say that in general I am far more balanced than he is. So I don't get his lows, I don't get his highs. Mm-hmm. And so I think we then provide a foil for each other. Definitely. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm I'm I count myself as 
hugely lucky in this. I've, I've never had proper depression. Mm-hmm. I've been upset about things, but I've never had, you know, the, 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 the stuff that you, you know, people send us emails about. And also, I don't, even when good stuff happens to me, this is a sort of a humble brag, but we did um, the Apollo on our tour. Oh, yeah. You know, just around the corner from here. So I, I hadn't thought about it until, until I actually saw the venue on the way to, to the studio. Mm-hmm. And, you know, selling out the Apollo is, is a huge achievement in anyone's mm-hmm. career. <laughs> but when it did happen, I did think, you need to pretend that this is a normal game. <laughs> <laughs> because... You know, we did the Shepherds Bush Empire as well, and I always, I often, when stuff like that happens to me, I downplay it because I don't want to become bipolar. I would prefer to be slapped down right in the middle. Yeah. So the lows aren't too low and the highs aren't too high, and I've got no problem with that at all. Whereas talking to some people who are bipolar, I know very well, they enjoy the highs, and they will say it's almost, you know, I wouldn't say it's worth it, but a friend of mine who's who's been sectioned with bipolar disorder told me you'll never know what it's like and I'm I'm sort of glad to be mm-hmm. honest but often I take a step back when something good happens to me and try and normalise it whereas other people are like come on let's go to the pub <laughs> and I don't know I think that's probably a um, uh, that's a self-preservation thing mm-hmm. I think and I've you know I, I know a lot of people I've seen a lot of people be manic and I would try and avoid it mm-hmm. um that's what I like about being depressed. I just get the lows. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you never, have you never had the mania? No, I'm like, everything just gets worse and then gets okay. <laughs> Which is, I can yeah. deal with that. I feel like if I had that tantalising, like, carrot dangled in front of yeah, us, it's like, yeah. whoa, this is a mi-. And then that crash, I'd be like, no, I'm quite, I'm quite pleased. I've just got the... <laughs> yeah. I had the mania yeah. in my early 20s. Did uh-huh. you? It's just wildly unpleasant really? well I mean at the time it's fucking great and you just feel invincible and you do you basically just do everything fucking stupid you can ever imagine <laughs> and then the lows that follow it are just so vile uh-huh. yeah um, so I and imagine then it I being got... like when you give a toddler loads of sugar and then watch them crash but on a really severe scale yes <laughs> yeah yeah I was um, I was ill about 15 years ago and I was prescribed steroids mm-hmm. for a couple of weeks and the doctor said the one thing with steroids is they will make you feel invincible and very motivated and very energised. And I thought, whatever. <laughs> and after a couple of days, people would ask me to put the kettle on and I would sprint from the living room. <laughs> and a friend of mine said, oh, you know, I've, I've got a, my favourite cup. Is it in the dishwasher? I'll check! <laughs> <laughs> and I run everywhere and you can't sleep. And suddenly you're looking at your room and you're like, oh, I'm going to hoover it again, actually. And <laughs> it was... I mean, it was amazing. And I would, obviously that's different to mania when you're mentally unwell, but I did think, God, you know, you see those people who are energised and they're real Mm -hmm. yes people and they say yes to everything because they just feel great. Like I know a guy and he's got two young kids. He doesn't seem to need to sleep or eat. And whatever you suggest, he thinks is a great idea. And I've seen him wake up. He's like, oh, great, it's morning. And I'm, whereas (laughs) the first quarter of an hour is torture, no matter yeah. how much sleep I've had. And then I have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and I'm sort of all right. But I would love to have his energy. And I always think that's what I was like on steroids for a bit. <laughs> and you're trying to read and you, you, yeah, the words are going too quickly, so you've got to start again, but you don't mind. <laughs> if you any advice to give to your younger self be it about mental health or just how to live your life misery free what would that be even if it's horrendous 
and embarrassing and you feel very ashamed at the end of it. I think it's so much better to have tried it than not to have tried it. There's a bit in Frank Skinner's autobiography, which is excellent, Mm -hmm. excellent read, where he says, I didn't want to be the bloke in the pub at the age of 70 saying, I could have been a comedian because I'm really funny. Mm -hmm. And that completely drove him. He was, I think Frank was 30 before he did stand-up and Mm -hmm. he'd been an alcoholic and he just quit booze. And he said, you know, know, giving it, and his first gigs were disastrous from, from memory, from reading the book. And in, uh, crucially, in front of like people he knew in Birmingham, mm. mm-hmm. and obviously I've had terrible gigs, and I've had terrible gigs in front of members of my family and friends of mine. But ultimately, it's not that bad. And I think I wish I'd like I didn't do any travelling <laughs> because I thought, oh no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and even though there are friends of mine who who did that stuff, I think I felt quite duty bound uh, to fit in. Whereas, um. I would say I probably was a little bit different, and I should have, um, I should have embraced that a bit more. Um, and I really like my kids. I would really tell them, you know, if you fancy it, just go for it. Because yep. also, especially when you're young, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like when I was sort of twenty-five, I thought, oh God, well, you know, if, I, if I'm going to own a house, I should, oh, I should probably <laughs> knuckle down. I mean, I didn't, you know. I just think that a lot of that stuff is... I mean, I was working in a cafe. It was irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> like, I earned minimum wage. Why was I bothered? Uh-huh. And I kind of can't... It's quite a defeatist attitude, and I can't quite believe I thought like that. And I would love to tell younger me that... For instance, not that I got the grades for it, but I went to quite a good state school. We tended to send one kid to Oxbridge a year, usually. And yet, when I was asked if I fancied to play, I thought, no, of course not. Cause it'd be just full of posh divs, <laughs> and I just I it was whereas now having met like John went to Oxford mm-hmm. and lots of comics went to Oxbridge and they're normal people mm-hmm. a lot of them like my friend Nadia from Swansea went to Cambridge just because she was bright mm-hmm. but when I was eighteen even though I went to a good state school that usually sent someone I it just it felt like completely unobtainable and I wish I had a bit more mm-hmm. confidence yeah. I remember them wanting to send me down on the open day in my school because they were like so bright you could do it the reason I didn't go was it was called Jesus College and I was like yeah, yeah. Jesus uh, yeah, yeah. so you uh, think it's a religious thing religion and no one has told Oxford. you that it is yeah. so I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and I had just that proper not, not stupid because I wasn't stupid as in unintelligent but that idiocity, idiocity? yeah yeah Idiocy, idiocy. Yeah. misinformed. Idiocy of youth when I was I like, I had a Ooh. real chip on my shoulder about that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. And I don't anymore. And I now wish I, I had. wish I'd just gone for the laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> do, it, do it for the anecdote. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Do it for the anecdote. Definitely. We hope you can take something from this podcast away with you in your day-to-day life. Whatever situation you're in, you're not by yourself. We can share our stories, share our experiences. We can help each other know that things do get better. This podcast was made in support of Calm, the campaign against living miserably. If you have some spare change or if you just found a fiver in your pocket, please feel free to donate to Calm by going to dave.uktv.co.uk forward slash calm. Thank you very much for letting us chat into your ears. We hope you've enjoyed it. We have been Aaron Gillis and Lauren Patterson. And let's bring in the jazz. Send us off. Bring in the jazz. Bring in the jazz. (laughs) Maybe if we just keep saying it, it'll become a thing.
Would you give your mum, dad, aunt or that uncle who hugs your partner a little too long free access to your phone? Oh no! Oh my god, it's, it's a really long video! Ew! In Dave's brand new YouTube original, Get Off My Phone, we've got six comedians to give their phones over to a relative with total freedom to read messages, DMs, photos and browser history. What's your social history? Sorry? What to do, tips for relief. The rules are simple. Their relative can read anything they want and even make calls from the comedian's phone. <laughs> what is this? What is I know what this one is. <laughs> that, that looks really okay. bad. Starring Tanya Moore, Anya Magliano, Finlay Christie, Travis J with his mum Angie Lamar, Hayley Morris, Grace Campbell and dad Alistair Campbell. Slightly sexually compromising <laughs> Divulging their deepest digital secrets. <laughs> what the hell is happening? Get off my phone, a Dave YouTube original. Available now on Dave's YouTube channel.